Blog Talk Radio. Such great expectations. Ooh, a and little concert by Del concert. Ford tonight. <laughs> what? A little private concert by Doug Ford tonight. There you go. You didn't let me finish my lyrics. I had great oh, expectations sorry. that I'd get to go to some concerts this year. Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah. I'm not sure it's true. We're going to find out. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. All right, let's get this show started. Welcome to Rungan Radio. I'm Doug. I'm your host with my co-host, Cruiser Mel, or Melinda, or Mel, whatever you want to call it. I'm certainly not cruising this year, so uh, I guess I'm just plain old Mel. We're going to go with Quarantine Mel. Okay. Quarantine Mel and Doug are here. He's also quarantined. Our guest tonight is Michael Jork, who is from the Birchmere a popular place in the Washington, Virginia, Maryland market. Todd mm-hmm. has played there. We believe that Michael presented an AWOT show. We're going to find out tonight. We're going to ask him. We're going to try to find out what he, you know, what's going on with his business. He's in a smaller venue. I think it's about 500 capacity or so. We'll find out. And, you know, where it's going, what's happening with his employees, that type of thing, which is the you know, a big topic. As a matter of fact, I heard something about it on NPR today. I saw they had a special, almost an hour, talking to musicians, promoters about what's going on with the business and how many billions of dollars they're losing right now and are going to lose based on what's happening. But uh, before we get into all that, I do want to dedicate this show to Ellen Hamby. She passed away this week. Ellen was fighting cancer for a long time. And was sharing her story with people on Facebook, which was uh, very interesting if you didn't get to see it. And thought she'd taken a turn, you know, was going to be all right. And then it just, all of a sudden, uh, things changed in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you could tell it wasn't good. And it's uh, very unfortunate. Those things um, are never, never good when we lose somebody from the Todd community. And especially somebody like Ellen, who was... very caring person, like to connect with people. Also, just kind of as Pippi described her, a watcher. She would kind of sit back and see what everybody's doing, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, but she yeah. was, when I first met her, was the uh, Asm show, the first show Mel and I ever did. We did it with the, the Knives and Grady left us a ton. And, uh, we did a Chasm show in Atlanta. We needed some help, and Grady got me in touch with her because she was big into the music scene there and a big Todd fan and Chasm fan big blues fan. And so uh, after that, you know, she started getting a little more active as far as meeting people and going out in the community, I would say, with especially with our events. And I remember being in Cleveland for the unpredictable shows. And <laughs> I don't know if you remember, she was uh, trying to get a drink into the bar we went to after down the road. <laughs> and uh, 
Anyway, they kept t- they kept telling her no, so they finally got her to quit. <laughs> but that was pretty. What? Funny. I didn't know yeah. about this. Yeah, trying to sneak a drink in, which is what we all do. Jesus got caught. But, oh, um, sneaking one in. Oh, okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> they were not happy with that. And then, uh, you know, she's been to Akron. She's been to a lot of stuff. And I was she came to Cincinnati this last fall. Yeah, I'd run into Atlanta shows, and she videotaped a lot. It's Ellen's eyes on um, YouTube, and it goes way back. She does a lot of Todd shows and did the new cars, and she gave me a bunch of those. And so the um, uh, Cincinnati was awesome that she was able to make it. She also got to go to Disney. Her husband. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who made a great, great song. I don't know if you saw it on our page. You posted, somebody posted it. Paul did a really good tribute song to her. He's a good singer, good guitar player. He's really good. But the Cincinnati was a good thing because she got to see uh, all the fans, you know, that were there and got to go see Todd, which is what she loved to do. I assume that's her last Todd concert she got to see. And then. Got to go to Disney. Her husband took her there, so she got, you know, she got to do a lot of good things before it was too late. And uh, you know, she was a collector of cats, feral cats, stray cats. Big blues fan. Was big in the blues scene in Atlanta. Just a really, really interesting person. Uh, shared a lot on Facebook. You can probably still see it on her page if you want. Really good stuff. And I, I'd reached out to her actually, hoping we could talk to her a little bit. And it was almost the timing was as bad as bad as it could get. It's right when things changed, like almost overnight. So anyway, rest in peace, Alan. You will be very missed. Um, a big loss for the Tide community. So, Agreed. And, and blessings well, to that, her husband, Paul. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Linda Fisher mentioned that Ellen was an attorney. So she was definitely a smart person. So, yeah. Stuff. Yep. Now, we're ha- it seems like we may be having some issues with sound. I can't tell. Linda says hers is good, but some other people say it's bad. My headphones didn't work, so I'm going through my Mac speaker. I don't think that's the issue, though. It sounds like some people are just having other issues. Like, uh, right. Just, <laughs> who knows? Everybody refresh or get on another uh, uh, browser. Yeah, browser. there you go. So, okay, Chris, I heard y'all, you know. Solved all the world's problems last week with Tom Jennings, so that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we talked about a little bit about the concert business uh, from the customer viewpoint, mostly, whether or not people are going to be the first ones in line as soon as their favorite venue opens up or as soon as Todd shows up in their town or whatnot. It was mm-hmm. sort of surprising how many people are willing to let other people go out there and be the guinea pigs first, no matter what. So, um, I don't know. It doesn't bode well for, for venues that are large, in my opinion. At least large inter- large venues are going to really hurt on this. Well, the, 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 the process, they're thinking about doing like 2,000 capacity venues, having only 500 people and separating them six feet apart. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, but you know, it's all speculation at this point. The Yeah. Uh, but if anybody wants to talk to Michael tonight, that's what we're going to talk to him about a little bit. Uh, 646-716-9262. Press 1 if you want to speak to us and talk to Michael, and we'll be more than happy to let you do that. Uh, also, uh, before we get into announcements, this is kind of one, I guess. Michelle Rungren did a podcast. She's going to do it, I think, once a week. 
just Google it. You'll find it, Michelle Runger Podcast. And so she's the first one's down. She did the first one now, and she's going to do some more. And there's rumors that Todd may even do one. Who knows? A lot of changes and a lot of different unique things coming out because of the quarantine action. Nobody knows how long it's going to last. Some states, it's over. But uh, Linda loved the podcast, so that's a good recommendation. Check it out. Mm-hmm. And Todd's tour has been now. This will you know be part of our topic tonight. Not that Michael knows anything about Todd's particular situation, but Todd has rescheduled a lot of them for August, and I think yep. he's stopping shows for October, November, December. But there's a lot of talk that there won't be any this year. We don't have any scoop. We don't know. Um, so that's what we know about Todd's deal as of right now. He's everything's going to be rescheduled. Nothing's staying. A live nation is. Funds. I think after they announce the uh, rescheduled dates, they give you up to 30 days to get a refund if you don't want to keep your ticket. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But a lot of the shows have not been rescheduled yet. Some of right. them have mostly not non-Live Nation venues. I think some of the Live Nation have rescheduled. I think the Wilton was one of them in L.A. But, yeah, I know that. Uh, the Philly one has definitely been postponed until another time, but it has not been actually put on a schedule yet. So as a result, we don't get to have our, our, our party on June 1st. So we're mm. postponed and not quite rescheduled yet. Yeah, we were going to do the uh, Night of Naz and Utopia Music. We'll try to reschedule that when Todd reschedules Philadelphia if we can. It all depends on, you know, a lot of logistics. The... Um, what else do we have, Cruiser Mail? We got uh, Jesse Gress Fund. Uh, yeah. do, do, have, you, have you checked lately? How's it doing? I haven't been in a while. I haven't checked lately. Um, we did mention on the show last week that uh, if you want to get a copy of the Magistris project uh, that Mark Wooden put together, which features uh, Todd, uh, John Siegler. <laughs> Chasm Sultan, John Forensic. You can order it at magistris.net until April 30th, so you've still got nine more days. And some of that money, I think $15 per purchase, goes straight into that Jesse Gress uh, medical fund. So, you know, that's pretty cool. Uh, I think I saw today uh, Kim Old Miner, I think, is making mm-hmm. masks for people to wear out of real, real fun, cute fabric and um, sending them to her friends and uh, I believe there's one that you can choose out of her stash and the proceeds also go to that Jesse Gress Medical Fund. I'm sorry I don't remember the exact details on that but that's that's really nice. It's really cool. You can find um, everything you want on our Facebook page, Rungren Radio Todd Rungren, Rungren Radio Facebook page or you can email us, Doug at Rungren Radio dot com or mail at com. We'll look it up if we don't have it on the tip of our tongue tonight. Uh, Grady sent a, a message in the chat room, 42,000. I looked it up too. It's about 42. It's like 41,970 or something. It's about to bust 42 for Jesse. The goal was 50,000. So I think things continue. They can hit that. Uh, oh. So that's good for Jesse Grass. So he can get a – the plan is to get a lung transplant, see how that goes. He seemed to be doing well, uh, better, you know. But he's going to – most likely need that, so hopefully that'll happen for him sooner rather than later, Cruiser Mill. 
I I agree. Yeah, when we had Mary Lou on the show a couple of weeks ago, she said he's doing fine, but they are not letting any people into their house at all because they got to make sure they keep him as healthy as possible. Because oh my gosh, I can't imagine if he were to get this mess that's going around. We can't do that. Yeah, he, he pretty much, in a way, almost he didn't have it, but he had all the other things that go along with it: flu, sepsis, pneumonia. It's probably pretty similar stuff. The uh, he's got a rare disease, and, and we wish him the best, and I hope that it's sooner rather than later. Like I said, so we still have some people that aren't having sound. I don't understand what that's about. I don't know how to fix it, Chris or Mal. I don't either. It's a blog I got, thing. We're not muted. Some people said they hear it. Um, maybe some of y'all in the chat room can help her out, tell her what to do, whatever you're doing. Because <laughs> you can obviously hear us. Um, and that is one option. You can't call the phone number. Of course, you can't hear me say that. But it's uh, I'll put it in the, in the chat room. You can always listen to us. And, and if you don't press 1, we'll know that you're just listening. But it's 646-716-9260. You can also call that number if you do want to talk to Michael tonight. Michael's an interesting cat. You're going to enjoy him. Uh, he's been in the business a long time. And in some people's market that are probably listening to our show, I know Mindy's been to his place and Linda. Uh, so it's he's both basically kind of like the Washington, D.C. area. Somewhere around, you know, Some of that in, in Virginia and Maryland. I know Bill Bricker's been, uh, been there. So yep. that's... Um, it's Alexandria, yeah. I think, Alexandria particularly. But, you know, everything's all close together up there. Down here in Texas, <laughs> we we have to drive for hours to get anywhere. Yeah, y'all don't do the subway kind of thing either. Uh, so Bruce just pumped it up to 42 grand, so now Jesse's at even 42. So that'll last for a little while. Anyway, I think we got Michael with us already on time. He is uh, – uh, what do you call that, Cruiser Mail, when you're on time? I don't even remember. Punctual. Punctual. I, I try to be. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Melinda. How are you? Well, welcome. Oh, how fun to have you on the show tonight. Well, Doug calls, I respond. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know why. Yes, I, I do, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, great, man. We just got through with all our big Todd announcements, which aren't a whole lot, but uh, – you know, because he, he is actually already rescheduling shows for August, and our focus mm-hmm. tonight is got to figure out, and the NPR had this focus day too, like when concerts may start back, what that might look like. So we're hoping to get see, get your feedback and your, your venue. Your, your venue is it about 500 capacity? The Birchmere? Well, we have two rooms. We have two rooms under one roof at the Birchmere. One room uh, where we do, I'd say, ninety percent of our shows is we call the music hall, and that holds five hundred people exactly, all seated at tables and chairs. And then we have the flex stage, which is a thousand cap, and that's all standing. And um, <clears throat> in that one, we'll do dates that are more. Uh, appropriate for standing room, whether it's golly, whether it's George Thorogood or Zach Brown just before he really blew up. Um, recently, uh, Matt Nathanson was in there. Interestingly enough, solo uh, acoustic, but he wanted to uh, stand up and he wanted the big room. And my gosh, he sold it out in maybe two hours, three hours at the most oh. on a weekday. Yeah. 
So you know, um, we we the Todd fans we got we have this debate a lot, but uh, based on Mel's and I's small experience, it seems like that I guess it may it could be an age thing. I don't know, but the sit down deal is more popular these days for the people that uh, go to the nostalgic acts. I would say, like Todd, would you agree with that? I think so, and uh, whether you call them nostalgia, heritage, iconic, uh, I tend to feel that it it's both that crowd, which um, or that that those artists who have been around a while, but also if it's just music, you really should be sitting down and really paying attention to and listen to, because when you go to stand up, the energy gets dissipated it's instead of being focused on what's on stage and what's going on with the artist on stage it drifts sideways to people talking between each other getting a drink over at the bar etc it's just a different energy um and i think that uh i'm reminded of one artist who said to me after the show my lord they listen hard and (laughs) which i said well uh they're supposed to and you know then it went from there but yeah i I think you know at a certain point in your life um you're probably more concerned about safety and comfort um with age often comes the responsibilities or boat anchors of mortgages and other impediments to going out and having having a good time uh so when people go out they want to know that the right things will happen and the wrong things won't, that the car will be there when they come back, that it won't, will not have been, uh, uh, will not have lost its tires or contents, um, that the show is not starting at 11 o'clock. So if it's a weekday, they're not getting home at two or three in the morning and stuff like that. And that's why we okay. start all our shows at six at uh, seven thirty. Seven thirty. So this is, this is getting on a totally different topic than I expected, but I got to bring it up because you got two different sure. companies. We we have seen a change, um, which I'm guessing you have seen over the last five to ten years. For these sit down shows, used to be listening room shows, but have right. become social hour for some people, and have become uh, almost unbearable in some venues where. The the show is irrelevant. The the artist is secondary, like it's a bar when you were in college or something or high school. Whatever. It, it becomes yeah a reunion or things along yeah. those lines, and that's that's mm-hmm. where it's incumbent on the venue to maintain some kind of decorum and respect for the artist. For years, we have had uh, cards on our t- all of our tables that say "Quiet, please." while the artist is performing and our ushering staff or security staff uh, will go around. And uh, if someone's talking too loudly, we'll bring it to their immediate attention that they should be quiet. And if they continue to disrupt, um, may end up leaving the venue uh, because they are being disruptive. And it's really discourteous to the artists. Uh, I heard one guy, one artist who had a great comeback, which, where uh, he said to someone, can you hear me? And the guy goes, yeah, well, I can hear you, you know, and it kind of <laughs> quieted, quieted him down. But it's really incumbent on the, uh, on the venue to, I, I hate to say keep order, but just 
maintain the kind of respect for the work and the artist that's going on as opposed to, uh, you know, using it as background noise. If you want that, just go to a bar and have the PA playing in the background and ignore that. But don't do it to a human being who's trying to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I matter of fact, today, Doug, I was wearing one of my Rundgren Radio T-shirts that on the back, uh, it's a little controversial, <laughs> but it says, shut the blank up while Todd is singing. And I've gotten <laughs> attention when I've worn that at concerts, and people are like, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Talking well, about the back. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's unfortunate that um some people behave that way, but you know, there's a there's there's one I mean, I've often said in any given audience, and I don't care where it is, ten percent are potential um shall we say uh troublemakers or people who will cause a, a stir, and one percent are just folks who can't take yes for an answer no matter what you do for them it's not going to make them happy and they're going to do what they want to do and how they want to do it and all that so you just try to contain things and that's that's about all there is to it but i uh, but to get back to what you were talking about i think as to uh rescheduling and all that um for my own part with the birchmere uh which is near washington dc just outside dc uh we run about 250 to 300 shows a year. We don't play every night, but, you know, we're pretty busy. Uh, so since the roof caved in about March 14th or so, um, I've had to reschedule or, in some instances, cancel so far somewhere between 75 and 100 shows. Mm. And um, we're down, you know, well, we were down all of March. We'll be down all of April, all of May. The governor of Virginia has the state on lockdown till um, June 10th. I don't think he will lift it before that time. Uh, we do have shows in after the 10th. Hopefully they'll, they will play. But, you know, we're in completely, totally unknown territory here. And no one knows really what will happen. And anybody who thinks they do is speculating. <laughs> Yeah. How how are you taking care of your employees during this time? Uh, I know the answer because I think it's really cool. Uh, you guys have a GoFundMe going, right? Well, we yeah we have a GoFundMe going for the wait staff, the the kitchen staff, the folks who, as in a lot of parts of the hospitality industry, you you, you just can't carry because we don't have shows, but we. Started a GoFundMe with a goal of fifty thousand, and um, that was, I guess, I guess about March twentieth, maybe. I don't have it in front of me, but I know we're on the other side of forty thousand already, which is very, um, you know, it's really humbling because who knew the public would care? And that may sound ingenuous, but I'm I'm not ashamed of that. I, I never take the support of the audience for what we do. For granted, when you do that, you should hang up your proverbial rock and roll shoes because that's disrespectful to the folks that are giving you a living. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, well, music is super so, important to people. I mean, they some people put it above a lot of other priorities, so they want to keep you guys open. Well, yep. we we appreciate that, and that's and and we do. I, I have found over time. I mean, look, 
people define themselves, whether consciously or subconsciously or unconsciously, by the art that inspires them, whether it's visual or performing art. And folks will make sacrifices to have that in their life because I think whether it's music or whether it's film or dance or whatever it is that feeds you, it feeds you hope and it inspires you and it gives you inspiration. And you cannot underestimate <clears throat> the significance, much less the power of, uh, you know, of that. And I'll, I'll say of music. I mean, you know, people will spend a fortune. They'll spend their time uh, to hear and witness the music that they love, the music of their life, if you will. And that's that is always an amazing thing for me to uh, to see. Um, I remember we did a show with the R and B singer Fantasia a while back, and you could palpably see the communication between her and the audience. It was almost like a van, that Van de Graaff generator that you see in those old Frankenstein movies, <laughs> you know, back and forth. It was palpable. It, it was astounding to see that, she, you know, her work, her music spoke to and spoke for her fans, for her audience. It was really amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, the fans have been good to you. What about the artists? Did you have any deposits you had paid, and have, that, has that, have those been easy to get back, or what's that situation been like? Um, it's been – we really have not had any problem. Uh, everybody, agents, managers, artists, uh, everybody knows we're in the same boat. Uh, I, and I, I cannot – I have to say I'm addressing at the Birchmere level, which is concert club. We hold, like I said, 500 or 1,000. We do some shows outside the building, but not a whole lot in theaters or an arena. And in the main, it's kind of just been common sense where the agent or I will bring up, you know, I I really think we need to make a move. And uh, more often than not, it's the agents saying that they really think we got to move the the tour. And, um, you know, we find a new date and it may not be, the Saturday they originally had, or it might be, and you just go from there. And nobody, there, at least in our part of the forest, there's been no um, venal <laughs> venality or greed or I gotta have my money or anything like that. It's just Good. been, Good. you know, just okay. What do we have to do? And sometimes uh, already there have been artists that I've moved. Um, once and I'm moving again or and even in some cases it looks like gee even the second move is not going to work out or I don't feel good about the second move and let's just go into 2021 and I you know I'm I'm fine with that you you it's I'm not going to speak for somebody else uh you know else's security or comfort <clears throat> comfort factor and um we just hope uh, that we are able to open sooner than later. Uh, but, again, nobody knows when that will be and then what will be either the legal or or, or moral capacities that we can run with so that there isn't uh, a second or a third wave of infection that we're contributing to, you know. Do you, do you fear that uh... – 
your liability insurance policy or policies per show or whatever that 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 they that the liability insurance company might put a little clause in there saying you know if people get this covid thing um mm. you know that you're responsible we aren't and you know stupid verbiage like that because that 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 question has come up in my mind quite a bit about yeah. you know we well, may want to put on a show the artist may want to perform but if you can't get that insurance that's a scary thing well that's that's true and um the insurance industry uh is also in a similar boat like again what's the old line we came over on different ships but we're in the same boat now and i think that the insurance industry is receiving a certain amount of pressure to not dodge their liability. Um, And I know we're having, um, shall we say, meaningful dialogue with our insurance agent on the subject. Um, I know that I'm already seeing some contracts which uh, specifically address a quote-unquote virus and, uh, you know, where – we are uh, some are saying that it is not force majeure and um you know we're we're changing it back to say yes that is if if an epidemic or a um uh, uh act you know anything that's cataclysmic is also in that bracket by god this thing is too because it's it's lethal it's random it is global you know you can't to try to dodge that in a contract is i feel inappropriate now that is a boilerplate type clause that at least one agency is uh has inserted and when i saw some new contracts today for shows down the road i took that clause out and that will become an issue um if and i but i hope that it's not a uh a major fight because it shouldn't be it has to reflect the reality of the circumstance which is I, yeah. this thing is the, you know the the time we are in is unprecedented for what i guess just addressing what we do you know but is unprecedented no one knows when the virus will really subside uh it's highly infectious and Though we all, I think, realize that it's devastating the economy across the boards, I don't want that on my conscience to uh, be opening the place up. And then, like those uh, churches a few weeks ago that had uh, congregations and subsequently people got sick and some have died. I, I don't want that on my brain. Or my conscience, right? You know. Well, no one does. So there, and you know, and ultimately, and this is something that I think you have to realize: there is no, you know, the maxima. There is no show you have to do. Life will go on if you don't do a show, and no matter what the protestations may be by some other people, at what price, life and limb and peace of mind, and of course. I can't speak for other people, just myself, but I don't want to be a party to endangering life. No, but I, I've, I've noticed, I, I, um, 
I like to travel quite a, quite a bit. And when all this went down a, a couple months ago, <clears throat> I know a lot of my my friends who go on cruises were uh, mm-hmm. cruising at the time. And uh, luckily, I didn't know anybody that uh, became ill. But lots of people that did get ill had travel insurance, and sure enough, they were not covered, even though they had paid the extra money for that travel insurance. So those insurance companies are being very sneaky. <laughs> we're They're going tricky. to have to yeah. pay attention. Well, it's, you know, that, uh, as my uh, old entertainment law professor used to say uh, in the course, um, forget, and he would go back to it over and over again, forget if you forget everything, don't forget this phrase: that which is with, that which is not withheld in a contract, is given away. And if you don't, uh, what is it? Incorporate, at least for your side of it, certain things, then you are giving them away. You are, you know, they become a matter of debate. So the insurance companies may be covering their butts so to speak, and covering that, protecting their interests. But that's where, you know, you have to have a conversation with them to protect yourselves in a, in a less threatening uh, set of circumstance. When you do an outdoor show, you, as you probably know, you can buy rain insurance. It will cost more, but you can buy rain insurance that specifies on-site measurement. And that's key because, as a very specific example, a friend of mine had an outdoor show with the late, great Greg Allman, and it got washed out. Well, John had rain insurance, and this was in the middle of summer, but the measurement site specified was 40 miles away. And, of course, it was bone dry within this thunderstorm this uh, you know storm front at the point of measurement and John was uh, you know swimming so you got it you know it's like anything you got to know the territory and um, protect yourself (laughs) the the best you can in all circumstances the moral of that story is insurance companies will do everything they can to screw you out of getting money that you you should get. That's I, I, that's I like to do. say they protect their yeah, interest in an active way. That was way. a long way of saying that. Yeah, that's a long way of saying that. <laughs> insurance is going to try to find a lot to pay you. Well, speaking of yeah. pay, did you? Yeah. Um, I'm guessing people had already bought tickets to your shows. You either refunded them or or let them hold on to them for the rescheduled shows. Is that how y'all handled it? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, we there is a certain point at which. Um, uh, you know, common sense prevails in terms of refunding. Uh, but sure, if you um, want to get a refund, uh, you can get it. Um, more often than not, we're uh, and and you know, and say the tickets for, in most circumstances, the tickets for the original date are good for the new one. There are a few twists sometimes where it has necessitated to, in essence, canceling the first show and putting it back on sale with a new code for, you know, peculiar reasons that I don't have to, and technicalities that I don't need to bore you with. But in the main, um, by far, it's the old, uh, your ticket will be good for the new show. If you can't go, 
make a refund by you know a certain time, whether it's you yeah. know thirty days, ninety days, something like that. Well, yeah, there's a lot of talk about refunds, but I'm looking. If I'm going to your venue and I've got the front row table. I want the reschedule yeah. date. I'm, I'm gonna keep. You're gonna keep my money. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I sweated and thought about it and had to get up early and got those tickets and was thrilled. I'm not gonna give that up just because they moved the date. But then there's some people that they, they need this money right now, and they uh, or they didn't get good seats. They don't care. And the weirdest thing is the most uh, wealthy of all the entertainers, or entertainment business, um, concert business, is been the worst about giving refunds. Well, I, I am not. I was not aware of that, but that's unfortunate. Yeah, they've they've been, uh, you know, playing games with it, and now it's kind of you can't get your refund until the rescheduled date, and then you got 30 days to do it after that. I mean, they've made it very difficult for somebody that's got um, plenty of money to give people I mean, refunds that want them. Yeah, yeah. So, well, everybody has their own way of doing things. <laughs> um, <laughs> whether we like it or not, and, of course, those that have more power or leverage, whichever word you want to use, are able to call the shots. Um, it's unfortunate when somebody, when an artist who is, uh, you know, when an artist kind of, when an artist treats a fan that way, it's certainly turns the fan off um and whether it's the question of course is is it the fan pardon me is it the artist is it the promoter is the tick is it the ticketing company that's calling the shots it varies from case to case um so it isn't necessarily the artist it isn't necessarily the promoter or whatever ticketing company sometimes it's a different person or entity that's dictating that policy. So you kind of have sure. to do your research to see who's, you know, who's deciding that in the, in right. each circumstance. Well, well, but it's, um, um, but in the, these are no times to, uh, I think, to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Greedy. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so I'm going to yeah. go to, uh, I want to go back to this topic, but I, now I, you brought something up that reminded me. I, I, I want to ask you because if, if we get through with this and I don't ask you, I'm gonna, it's going to drive me crazy. You you guys promoted the a Wizard True Star show Todd did at the Strathmore. Is that right? Yes, wrong? sir. We did. Okay. All right. So, did you get to go to that show? I go to all the outside shows that we promote because someone has to pay the act, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I do. Um, um, I, I was there. I did not see much of the show because um, just as uh, Todd is doing his piece of work, so too I'm backstage or in the box office doing mine. And if you're the promoter, you're often the guy who uh, least gets a chance to see the show. We, we Mel and I were at that show. We were on the front row for that one. Somehow we got lucky and got tickets for that. I didn't know that you guys you know, ventured outside of uh, Berksmere, but then I kind of figured it out somehow that, you were doing that at the strike point, which was cool. So uh, good job on the deal. Yeah, I mean, I've promoted uh, – I've been with the Birchmere since 88. And mm -hmm. um, since uh, I went in-house with them in 97, uh, but I've always been active promoting in the marketplace one way or another uh, since 1978 and have used uh, 
in well just addressing washington dc just about all the buildings uh still active and a few that have gone the way of all flesh so mm-hmm. if an act and if an act outgrows the birchmere like say um <clears throat> the avid brothers uh, or todd or some other people um or they require going into a theater or some kind of outside facility um well nine times out of ten we'll do it there are times when we feel the deal is the the deal required and the other expenses are not worth making a theater offer or an outside facility offer with all the increased overhead um but more often than not we'll roll the dice yeah, back then, T- Todd was doing shows that big and in big big shows in theaters, and then that tour right. came around and they were all done in, in bigger places. And so that was the you know because you d- you've done Todd even at that time you were doing Todd at the Birchmere. So that just called for a special place and then it was a different you know different story and different show. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was it. And just about. to say, Lyle Lovett ha- will play, you know, will play him at the club. And sometimes, especially if he has the so-called large band, um, it may, because he's carrying production, it may uh, require us to go to a theater or just sometimes they will say, we really, really want to go to a theater on this go-round with no disrespect to the club uh, because we have a limited window of availability to do whatever it is they're doing, whether it's a special show or just a limited date's. And you know, if it's somebody that has um, that we presented over a long period of time, we'll accommodate them. That's you know, yeah, sometimes just good the, business. Yeah. yeah, the stage that uh, they have, you know, like there were special requirements for that Utopia show. Then if you have an orchestra show, but somebody right. in our chat room wanted to know, I'll jog your memory here, if you had anything to do with booking any of the shows at a place called Jacks, J A X X. Uh, I am familiar with that intimate bistro, sometimes called Fetid Hellhole, uh, but, <laughs> but no, I uh, I know of it. I'm speaking in jest. The uh, guy that used to uh, book it for many years, Jay Nedry, is an old friend, um, and uh, it, again, you know, um, it served the venue. It was a venue that had a niche in the hard music world when there were other venues that couldn't or wouldn't play that music. And um, not that uh, they that Jacks just presented hard rock, uh, just as Hammerjacks in Baltimore, another uh, rock room of legend, did not present just um, <clears throat> hard rock. In fact, I presented Los Lobos at Hammerjacks once in Baltimore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, but, uh, what brings uh, Jacks up? Somebody in our chat room that lives over in your area want to know if you had anything to do with booking shows there. Because Todd's no, been there. No, no, It's uh, you know for years it was the site of a of various rooms uh, for a period. It was a country room called Boots, and I did help put some country acts in there, um, and uh, it had other names. And then gradually, um, after I think after Jacks, it was called Empire. And then finally, uh, it it ceased as a music venue. I think it's a restaurant now. I think. I think, I think Doug saw Todd at Jack's, right? That was the I first did. time he's with ever saw twist. Todd. Yeah, with a twist, ninety-seven. Yep. Yeah. At Jack's. Well, it's, it's possible because some, you know, sometimes um, 
when someone says, well, why is so-and-so playing at that venue? And it can be any number of reasons. It can be money. It can be rooting. Um, it could be the, the act loved the catering. You never know. Um, I, you know, or it may, I mean, the normal one is the promoter and or venue has history with the artist. And so generally, generally, and it was more so in the old days, the artist would dance would dance with who brung them from the beginning if you didn't screw up. That has changed over time. And I think a lot of it is because of two reasons. A, the rolling up of all the um, big promoters by the late, not great Bob Sillerman, um, when the, the first wave of promoters were rolled up into one company called SFX, which eventually became Live Nation. And um, also... <clears throat> Pardon me. Also, I think you know, artists, musical artists, make their money basically two ways: I tour, and I sell recordings. Well, the latter category went through the cellar with the rise of the internet, you know, and so it's only the superstars who now sell platinum in terms of hard recordings, um, mm-hmm. and even in streaming, they don't. The artists don't make that much money. Uh, and not compared to when you would go, you know, like a Def Leppard and sell eight or ten times platinum, as an example. Yeah. It also oh. explains the rise of the charging uh, for meet and greets and other um, aspects of fandom because the artists are simply trying to replace all that lost, that significant portion of their lost income. Mm-hmm. And everybody thought they were I, getting I, free music, but they're not. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, some artists feel, you know, and usually the ones who've been around a long time. Uh, no, I shouldn't say that. Some who've been around a long time feel it's it's just inappropriate. There are others who feel it's completely appropriate because I can't, I cannot replace the income that I lost, and I have to you know, come up with other ways to do that. And this is one way. And if somebody is an Uber fan, again, and willing to make that financial sacrifice to to t- touch the hem of the garment, I get it. I, I, I really, I can't begrudge them. It's, it's sad, but it's reality. It's economic reality. Well, the, the thing with... Um... I mean, you know, it's one of those things you can look at it all kind of different ways, but the, the benefit of meet and greet has also been for the fans. A lot of Todd fans did not know how or did not have a chance to meet him, and they've been able to do right. that, and they don't regret spending a dime of that money. The issue that Mel and I have had uh, as when we promote a couple of Todd shows here and there is we don't like holding seats hostage with meet and greet tickets uh, mm. because, you know, there's some fans that have known Todd for – 40 years that are used to being on the front row, they don't want to spend 350 to go say hello to somebody they've seen a hundred times and, you know, have been to his house and right. been to his birthday right. parties or whatever. It's uh, and then, and then if those seats don't sell cause they're too expensive, the promoter gets stuck with them and, and mm-hmm. not to mention, don't get me on my soapbox, not to mention these companies that do those. Some of them, they're not real good about communicating with the customer and telling them when it is or where it is or what time to do. Well, this, yeah, it's like anything. You're going to get people in any business who are competent and others that are not. And 
as this is a newer side of the business, there are some of the VIP companies that are very together, and there are others that make you want to tear your hair out. And um, if in a theater situation where the uh, VIP tickets that are upfront and very expensive, if they're not selling, uh, you as the promoter, you have to make sure that they are releasing the tickets with, you know, or releasing the tickets to be sold at the face value at a certain point. And of course, it's a, it's a gamble like, well, will people wait till the last minute or will they be afraid that they're going to all get scooped up? And that's ever the case with almost any show, but uh, it, it's really the, a, uh, well, all I can say is we try to watch it like a hawk, and a certain number of days or weeks out will lean on the uh, the VIP company, the agent, the management to say, you know, look, guys, um, these seats are not selling or the VIPs are not selling. Can we please release the X number of tickets you have on hold for the public? And And usually – if we do it that way, they usually relent. I hate that's kind of a strong word there, but just uh, more accurately, uh, yeah. they they realize the reality of the circumstance that they have sold a finite number of VIP and they are not going to sell anymore. Well, we right. have we usually have an agreement though. That most of these guys seem to have an agreement. If you don't have them sold within you know seven days, fourteen days before the show, you can release them. We kind of work that yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, and we try. Yeah, we try to, um, you know, no. I think I can't speak for other people. I don't like taking a stick out and threatening people. You know, there are some agents or some promoters. They're, they're just people uh, who do that. But I think again, if you nine times out of ten just say, "Look, they're not selling. We haven't sold a VIP in three weeks. The yeah. show is in ten days." We need to release these tickets. So, and do you get a lot of artists in, in the 500 capacity venue and thousand? Are you getting a lot of them that are doing that? Oh yes, yeah. oh yeah. It's really? very. It it is increasingly common because it's, you know, um, Doug. It's just economy of scale. Whether you're selling 500 or 5,000 or 50,000, all of them have been hurt financially with the demise mm-hmm. of hard recordings. And so all of them are looking at ways to replace that major part of their income that's been lost. So what happened? It just, it, you know, because it went away about 10 years ago or whatever it was yeah. that uh, the uh, streaming side came in and killed record sales. I, I can't remember. But that's whenever 13, it happened, there was <laughs> – I'm yeah. sorry? That's been probably – I mean, Napster was out – you know, two thousand and six, seven, something like that. It seems like it was. It's been a long time when they started all that mess. What about in yeah. a thousand capacity venue where you have a stand up? Are they doing? They 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 can't um, VIP seats, so they give early entrance. Or are you just doing meet? Yeah, yeah. Stuff? They'll do either. It'll be early entrance. Uh, sometimes it'll um, like uh, you can do merch shopping without uh, where it's just people who have the VIP. So you're not having to deal with a bunch of people in front of you. Um, you know, it's they're usually 
the the uh, VIP company and the artist come up with something else. Uh, but at best, it's just advanced, you know, early entry as opposed to a VIP seat that's reserved. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, and I think uh, you know the the tough thing we're all facing right now is when will we? And this varies from place to place. When will we start up again? Will it be yeah. June? Will it be July? Will it be after Labor Day? And no one really knows. Will it be 2021? <laughs> maybe, you know, 2021. Um, I, I, my gut says it will be later than sooner. Um, mm-hmm. I'd love to think it'll be June, but I don't think that's going to happen. As for whether it'll open up in July and August, I just don't know. I'm not a, you know, nobody yeah. knows. What's your vision, though? Let's say, let's say they say, okay, Mike, you can open up June or July 1st, let's say. Yeah. Uh, do you see a situation where there's a requirement for social distancing or people have to wear masks? What do you, what do you, what do you see a concert like if, say, you're open back up June 1st? What's it gonna, is it going to be the same as it always is or is it going to be something different? Well, let's say after the uh, the Virginia lockdown occurs, and by the way, uh, the nearby District of Columbia and the state of Maryland are on you know on lockdown for social gatherings until further notice. There is not a specific date, at least none that I am aware of, uh, in those venues or venues in those locales. Um, mm-hmm. But dealing <clears throat> just with us, if for some reason June 11th or 12th or whatever is we could do a show uh it it would be a very tough decision to see where we are at with this whole thing and um what as i said what if we are not legally bound to certain strictures then what do we do as part of our own business do we require people to have masks we might uh will we try to reconfigure the room for social distancing uh, probably what does this do with the deals where that deal for june 23rd was cut back in last august and we can't sell 500 tickets now but we can sell 120 well mm-hmm. uh we can't, <laughs> even if we sell out, we can't yeah. afford, right? You know, so yeah. will those deals change? Sure, some of them will, and mm-hmm. some of them won't. And there will be people who will break contracts. There, whether uh, on the artist side or the promoter side, um, but we don't. You know, like Joe Strummer used to say, the future is unwritten. What if? What if? How would you feel if? Um college football or the NFL have games starting in September. Well, they have games starting in September. Again, it's not so much the games themselves, but how many people do they let in the venue? Mm -hmm. Um, I think a real, to me, um, in the, in the macrocosm, the, uh, the sport that seems to be the bellwether, the, I don't know what the word is, the, the, the key 
is baseball. If the baseball season opens up and not to empty stadiums, but to a certain percentage of total capacity, uh, I think that'll be a significant event setting the tone for the rest of the country. Um, but still, you know, certain places are greater hot spots, such as New York City, as we all know, um, versus if you're in um, some state that's not a hot spot, you know, by uh, based on the number of cases and deaths. Mm-hmm. It just nobody knows. You know, the if this is mid-April, <clears throat> roughly, you know, the next two months, you know, where will we be June the 1st? I, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know. But with the <laughs> unfortunate uh, disorganization in at least this country in terms of testing and other activities to contain the virus uh Mm -hmm. i am not the usual optimist that i am and i hate saying that but (laughs) i but like i said you know who wants to endanger life not me right okay i sort of feel the same way um i've sort of surprised myself in how i feel about this matter and um yeah i i get it that it's a little disconcerting to think oh you know let's open up and let's have a party and a band and all that stuff and then i'm like wait people could actually die and yeah yeah uh, and i have artists uh you know candidly i have artists in august and even october who are saying to me uh you know something along the lines of well i'm not saying we are definitely going to move out of august 30th but um can you give me a hold next next May, really? just, just in case? And I, I get it. And I think I, I think the main thing will be uh, rescheduling shows, and will promoters, venues, be able to survive when business can resume? Will we still be here? Right. And it goes back to that phrase again of, I don't know. I don't know. You're just yeah. like any business. Do you, do you have a time frame where you think, okay, if we're not back by this date, we're not going to make it? We have not gone there. It's something, I guess, we just haven't wanted to uh, to face. We don't have to face it per se um, because we don't know when we'll start up. Um and I think it's one of those things that no one really wants to look at. I just know that right now, um, all of our, I'd say out of 130 full or part-time employees, I think that's the last count uh, around there, uh, there's maybe, you know, apart from the GoFundMe, for those people who've been furloughed, there's really only about, well, I'm going to say six six to ten at the most who are still on payroll, you know, because they are working as I am actively working as our chef is dealing with certain kitchen issues and our GM with certain physical plan issues. Uh, And, you know, we would love to rehire everybody back yesterday, but 
that's not where we are. Happily, we don't carry debt. You know, I mean, we are in better financial shape than many. I know that in terms of, you know, our relationship with the landlord and all that other stuff. Um, But I don't know. You know, I mean, do, do I think we can wait till January of 2021? Probably not. Um, yeah. But no one knows. No one what, knows. What do you, it's it's a case-by-case case situation. Yeah, this is very yeah. hypothetical. I already know your answer, and it's yeah. – I don't want to get too political. But what if some artists say, you know what? I don't buy into all this. I'll do a show for you at a door deal or tells venues this. Like, say, Kid Rock or Ted, say, you know what, we're going to do shows. The government's open, says we can do them. We're going to do them. Uh, do you think venues would take them up on it? Well, I think that there will be some people who will take them up on it. I think it'll it, vary, it will vary from venue to venue. Just as we see there are people there who wish to do wish to quote unquote open up for business again and there are those who are against it um i i would be I, you know speaking for myself i would have to follow my own conscience and see the old what's the deal what's the turnout what's the liability uh etc and until i have i'm, I'm trying to be Explicit, but again, I'm dealing with many uh, unknown yeah. factors yeah. here. Um, yeah. Until it's a very specific scenario, um, it would be. It would it, well if it were in the near immediate future. I'd be pretty squeamish, mm. Michael. You know, I don't because of the highly infectious nature of the disease, and mm-hmm. I think. You know, folks are, I think most people take it very seriously. I know that, as someone said, and I respect the statement, well, what about if all, if in essence all industry just goes to hell in a handbag and there isn't anybody, you know, there's just no business because nobody's working and so nobody has any money and so all of the economy, all of the, the country falls apart, quote-unquote. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's quite that at that point. Uh, and I do feel, based on um, <clears throat> the, this flu of a century ago, yes, this will subside. It, that flu completely subsided about a year later, you know, from the spring of 18 to the spring of 1919, Mm-hmm. But it also killed a lot of people. A lot of people. And mm-hmm. already, I didn't see latest numbers, but tens of thousands of Americans have died already. Yeah. And that's a very sobering statistic. And it, it, it isn't just people of a certain age or with pre existing conditions. And it's yeah. erratic. You know, I get the sniffles, you get sick, you know, Doug gets sick as a dog. For a week and a half, Melinda feels lousy for a few days and recovers, and then my sister dies, and everything in between. Everything. And that's, so that, that's a scary proposition. And yeah. so 
there are going to be some people who are willing to roll the dice and there are some who are not. It's going to depend. I mean, if somebody said, you know, I want to do a show and I want to have do it in a facility where 10,000 people can show up and the act is big enough that there might be 10,000 people, I don't I don't know that I want to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Because it may be too soon. Yeah. If it was in Thanksgiving, you know, time period, probably if it were June the 12th, man oh man, I don't know about that. <laughs> it's you know, so tough. You look at it and you go, okay, is there ever going to be a time, and I don't think the answer is, is yes, there's, is there's ever going to be a time where you're 100% comfortable and you go, okay, this is the right time because we don't know. But at some point, right. everybody's going to back up. So you got, you got a really tough decision of at what point, well, okay, the government says I can open up, but there's this or there's that. You know, it's going to be hard to figure out when you're comfortable with opening up, but um, – you know, hopefully people can uh, are in good shape like you, so that they can they can wait if they need to until they're comfortable. Yeah. Right, you know, and that's really, you know, um, all you can do because we are in terra incognita, and buddy, there are dragons, you know, and there are there is the issue of secondary infections and uh, or waves of the infection, and. Um, Hopefully not. Um, we don't know what will happen with science. Um, but everything I hear says a vaccine is not until 21 and maybe until mid-21. So that, there's that. And like I said, the uh, the Spanish flu, <clears throat> as it's colloquially called, went down after a year. But, Lord, you know, what businesses can be what in, what what economy can be basically moribund for a year yes there are certain ones which are doing okay but even in terms of food supply look at all those folks getting sick at that chicken processing plant out in um, i think it was south dakota because they're in very close proximity mm-hmm. now you're talking about food supply <laughs> well, now it gets really food, scary speaking of food supply I have been getting emails uh, from local movie houses, the kind where they they sell food and alcohol. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, they can't be showing movies right now, but Mm -hmm. I I laugh when I get these emails and they're saying, come on by, our our kitchen's open, curbside pickup and and whatnot. And just a few minutes ago, you mentioned your kitchen manager. Uh, Are you guys... Serving food like curbside takeout type. No, no, because really, um, we're not. We are never. We are not open during the day. We're not really. We're not a restaurant per se. The way one conceives a typical restaurant, we only serve food um, when we're open, and um, people don't. Though because of the the physical setup of the club, we could in theory do that but there's so many places that are just plain old restaurants uh that are far better set up for it than we um it's not something i think you'll see us do um, well, I just, i'm surprised I that the movie theaters are trying to pull that off because i, you, I, know. I 
as the saying goes, I'm sorry, but I don't really think of getting a good meal at a movie theater. Me neither. That's why I laugh. But, I'm, but I also think, you know, well, that's a creative way to keep some employees working. And yeah. um, uh, I happen to know this one particular movie theater does have an incredible pizza, but it's not the first thing I think of if I want to go get a pizza. Right, right, exactly. And that's that's. Yeah, you know that's a part. That's part of it. It's it's going to depend upon you know uh, from locale to locale, um, city to city, what what food vendors will be able to pull it off and which ones will not. Um, right. You know we're just in a very unknown uh, unknown time. Um, yeah. I mean today mm-hmm. I booked some uh, new shows going into the late fall and going into the new year um and i also um had to was in the process of rescheduling about four or five other ones into the late fall or the new year has anyone meaning have have any artists or agents come to you and just said flat out let's just cancel it and we'll talk next year yes wow yeah, yeah um, mostly those that are European, you know, foreign acts, British and mm-hmm. European, but at least one American act of stature uh, that plays the club at a at a high, you know, that is as, if you will, as big or bigger than Todd, um, has said, you know what, I just I just don't want to get into it. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll wait till next year. I'll bet you Christopher Cross won't be doing shows for a while. And the folks from overseas have to get the work permits. That's going to be complicated because that's going to expire, and they got to redo it. Yep. You know, there may be yep. some, there may be some, um, leniency on that because of all these changes, but it's that that'll be another interesting thing that comes in that people don't think about. You know, if somebody from um, you know Europe or Canada wants to come over here and play, they got to get a work permit. There's extra things that, right. that come to uh, come into play. I, I have an act that uh, that has uh, is seek is from Canada that's seeking to reschedule dates in late into late July and into August, and then I said well, I'm available like August twenty five six, and the guy said our work permit ends August fifteen. Now that's four months away, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. You know, there was just on the side. You know, there was a well, while Adam Ant couldn't come over here because he he had a, a gun charge overseas, mm-hmm. so he couldn't get a permit over here. But anyway, he finally came back. But anyway, uh, I digress. Yeah. I got a call in from six one seven. You're with us. You want to talk to Michael? Email. What's happening? Six one seven. Hey. Hey. Grady. Grady, what's up? Um, I've been listening to this amazing conversation. It's it's not often that you get someone who's operating a club and who has done it for as long and and is willing to talk as openly about the experience. So I'm just really enjoying this. Well, well thank you. Um I feel that the public is uh I think, you know, they're sometimes entitled to see what goes on behind the curtain. Um, because it also tells you often why certain things happen, why 
sometimes a show is in venue A and not venue B, or why haven't I seen Tom Waits tour in whatever period of time? So I'm I'm pretty open about stuff, uh, at least what I legally can talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you you made a comment a few minutes ago. Sorry. Um, Michael, you made a comment a few minutes ago uh, that that really kind of, I think, brought up a subject in passing that might use a little bit more uh, comment from you. I know of a really good club here in in, uh, the Boston area in Somerville that Doug Ford has actually done a couple of shows in, um, and uh, they didn't own their building. And it got to the point where um, uh, they just couldn't keep going because they, no matter how successful the business was, it didn't generate enough money to support that piece of real estate uh, with its escalating value. And yep. they closed up. This so, is why, um, And this is why you don't have many venues in New York City because the dirt there is worth so very much. There are not that many music clubs in in New York City in any of the boroughs. Yes, there are some, okay, but not to the degree of the number of people you have in the boroughs because mm. the dirt is worth so much. Yep. And a so, great example is the famous B.B. King's Club, which was yes. there on 42nd Street. And... Um, you know, the the guy who owned the, the dirt felt it was uh, more valuable to build whatever he's building than keep BBs, and they had to uh, move, pick up stakes, and now they uh, they run in a, a space called Sony Hall, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that also affected us a little bit. The Birchmere has been in business with the same owner, by the way, for um, 54 years this month. Wow. And... Yeah. Um, yeah, same owner, Mr. Gary Olsey. And uh, we moved. The first club uh, was in the site. It was located at the same place, 66 to 81, and then moved from Arlington to uh, Alexandria. Um, I believe it, yeah, just inside Alexandria, uh, from 81 to 97. And we moved from the second place to the place we are now, because we also ended up in a situation where the landlord uh, wanted more rent than we felt we wanted to pay or could afford for what we had. And so we moved, and we're very, very happy where we are now. Uh, But this is something that occurs um, repeatedly um, in a bunch of different scenarios, not just music rooms, as you must know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of businesses. Then they end up being empty strip malls sometimes because they, they don't realize they're not going to be able to get people to pay that. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. Michael, you made another comment right about the same time in your earlier discussion about you're not carrying any debt, and that is going to help you survive longer than some of these other venues where, oh, we just have to have the latest this or the latest that, and, or we got to put another paint job on right now, or we just got to take some money and go on a personal trip to the Bahamas, and we can make it back. 
not carrying any debt is what prepares you for now. That's true. And it well it's and you know it's just common sense to me. Maybe not to other people, but that's a practical way to conduct business. The same way as I said earlier, there is no show you have to do. And when you nine times out of ten, when I felt, gee, I have to do this show because of whatever reasons, I got hit on the head. And um, there are to- just today, uh, I just much as I'm getting pushed to play a certain artist in a theater in the D- in the Washington D.C. area, I'm going to come back with a very strong offer in the club and just say, you know, this is not the time for this artist, or should I say this promoter, to take the financial risk that would be involved. And even if the artist feels otherwise and the artist goes to play for somebody else, so be it. I can't speak for anybody else's economics, just our own. The thing that bothers me about some of those larger venues, some of those theaters, um, they have to have contracts with employer groups, uh, excuse me, employee groups, in order yep. to get people to come and actually do the work. And in right. many cases, the people who are doing the sound and the lighting are making more money than the artists actually make. Well, it, it you know, it varies. Um, I know what you're getting at, um, and that is the case in some instances and in some markets. And it's an example uh, often of, um, you know, of unions that have uh, uh, gotten carried away with things. And I come from a family that has been in unions, and I believe in them. But like anything, um, the pendulum can swing too far. And there's got to be a certain amount of... uh, equilibrium between all the partners involved and nobody should be getting out baseball bats at this particular time in life. And um, that's about all I can say about that. You know, common sense should prevail, but if it doesn't, uh, you know, there was to be specific, there was recently an issue with uh, in Washington uh, with the Kennedy center and, um, the management decided to, uh, I think it was, and I hope I get this straight, the furlough the uh, the uh, Washington, the, the National Symphony Orchestra. But as far as I could tell, and this is just me, they didn't really engage with the musicians' union that represents the symphony players to say, you know, Houston, we have a problem. We need to, um, we got to talk. But they just kind of did it, it apparently ex cathedra and the union guys took much umbrage in that and uh, it got ugly it's they subsequently came to terms and fairly quickly but geez come on we're in the you know as i said earlier we came on over on different ships but we're in the same boat <laughs> yes absolutely yeah. Well, thank you again very much for a, a wonderful program tonight. Uh, I'm going to jump off and uh, give somebody else a chance, but uh, you've been a great guest. 
Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for calling in, Grady. Oh, Grady, what a pro Grady is. <laughs> Very good Grady. question. Grady from Boston. Uh, he has no accent, but we do. He always sounds like a, a professional compared to us, but I like that. He's good. I, I, um, oh, I As I said earlier, what accent? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we talked earlier. the um, Okay, so I'm going to go with some um, – We've, I think we've we've uh, handled all the COVID conversations, so let's get into some other stuff. Uh, I don't know, you, and you may not feel free about talking about it, but do you have any, um, I don't know, I guess for lack of a better term, some dirt? Do you have any artists that you really just refuse to do business with anymore or that you had a big disagreement with? Maybe some um, that are passing. There, <laughs> there is one that has since done, I won't name names because uh, in this libelous time we we live in it's not wise there is one that has uh, passed away not so not uh, fairly recently that i would never book um because they made life too difficult um as a crazy maker and also there would be some last minute financial shenanigans uh-huh. um which yeah were inappropriate um there's at least one artist that I presented. Uh, as I put it, I spent a, a year with them one weekend and uh, in various cities. And um, their, uh, <laughs> the chip they have on their shoulder uh, resembles more a log cabin. So I um, don't need to do business with that artist. And it's too bad because uh, well. the guy is a fabulous artist, but just life is too short. And um, it's, I, I did have an interaction one time with a tour accountant, and uh, which <laughs> was rather amusing because the um, the guy said, "Well, we don't pay for a state your stage manager," and uh, I said, "Well, here is an email <clears throat> from your artist's agent approving that." expenditure and by the way as you probably know we're losing thirty thousand dollars a night so i think it's really a moot point yeah <laughs> mm. yeah some of those yeah are yeah unbelievable. so what, or, what are some or you know just things? sometimes there's a splitting of hairs because uh, somebody has an inordinate yeah. ego but you know i find really that 90 percent it's like anybody you know, anywhere. Ninety percent of folks are just trying to make a living in show business. They just happen to be under a spotlight. So, you know, in your neighbor may be a crank, and we know the guy across the street. You don't let near your five-year-old, but nobody knows who they are except for the immediate neighbors because their lives are not lived under the spotlight. And yeah. well, so. Yeah, and there's you know there's so many. Um, I try to look at both. You know, there's there's artists like Badfinger that have just been burned so bad, and some some promoters have probably ripped off artists. I get, I get where the, some of that comes from. Oh yeah. What what are some of the what are some of the things you've seen on riders that that shocked you or kind of you thought were just uh, over the top? Well, the one I I always laugh about uh, once or twice a year somebody will put something in, and usually in catering. 
uh, just to see if you've read the writer. Um, yeah. I forget who it was, but they put in three dead squirrels. And I think I crossed out <laughs> squirrels and I said uh, something like uh, squirrels and a what about groundhogs? And, um, and, and they laughed when I saw them and brought it up. Um, but it was just that. They want to be sure that you read the writer. Um, yeah, the rumor was that when uh, I think it was Van Halen would do the, the green M&Ms or whatever, was it was just to see if you read the writer. Because if you didn't, right. they knew the sound situation was going to be a mess and they were going to have to, to get to work on it immediately. Because Yeah, that, they, was, they that was really what that was, that yep. was about. Uh, and it, well, it was not that long ago, but um, there was a period where uh, before the business became much more uh, codified and organized. Um, and, and, you know, you have to realize that in any line of work where the principal, whether it's a stock, whether it's a boxer, whether it's a musician, whatever, anybody's business, when they go from zero to hero fast, it's going to draw entrepreneurial types who like to make their money in an untaxed way. Yeah. And <laughs> it's unfortunate that in the beautiful tropical lagoon that there are also sharks, mores, and barracudas, but, you know, that's showbiz. That's life. That That's just mm-hmm. the way it is. So, that's where you have to have good attorneys and better accountants. It yeah. sounds to me like you have uh, a good amount of control on who plays there at the Birchmere. H- how do you uh, keep up with newer acts uh, so that you're not always presenting uh, heritage acts or whatever? Do you, do you go out and, and, and go to other venues? Do you listen to young people's radio or whatever how, how do you keep up well um what i personally do is i re uh, i do several things um i read polestar magazine closely which is the, basically the the trade journal of record for concertizing and um in terms of who is who are the new artists signed where uh, mm-hmm. The grosses in the back of the magazine, which show what kind of business certain artists are doing. Not everybody reports to Polestar. Some people don't want other people to know their business. Right. Uh, hey, I report. You know, let me, Michael. Let's let me ask you something about that real quick before you finish mm-hmm. that. That we we did Polestar, so we we got into this promotion thing back in two thousand nine or whatever. So back mm-hmm. then, everybody reported every show. Now all of a sudden, it's you, you're lucky if you get any. And I read a writer one time, I won't mention your name, Kevmo, that said if you didn't sell out, you're not supposed to list it on Polestar. It was in the writer, not to list it oh, unless it why, was a show. Why, yes, that is correct, Young Jedi. <laughs> what is up with that? Well, what's up with that is that – Certain artists don't want the public to the the industry to know if they they did poorly somewhere or as we call it that they stiffed, you know that the show died, and um, I get that and I usually uh, just cross it out and write all grosses reported to Polestar. So you do report. You oh do yes. Report oh okay. yes. And I uh, that may come back to haunt me in terms mm-hmm. of 
my uh, competition, but so far, not so much. Um, you know, in Polestar, out of the all the clubs in the world that I guess report, uh, we were at number 20, and nobody sold more tickets for a venue our size. So we must be doing something right. Um, yeah, so let me let me explain uh, uh, real quick to, to our, our listeners here. So Polestar Pro is an industry magazine, and they promoters and venues can submit. Uh, okay, so you know we did this show, it sold this many tickets, and it sold this many dollars. So when they when they do that, you can kind of get an idea where where artists are popular, what areas they're popular, how good they do, how bad they do, that type of thing. And for years, it was the norm. Uh, it was valuable information, but then all of a sudden it dropped off for a lot of venues refused to, I don't know why, maybe because of competition, but they will not show their, their data. So it's, it's, it's limited yeah. data now. Yeah. Well, it has become, it has, I will say the number of entities presenting in just about any given significant major secondary or even tertiary market has great, <clears throat> pardon me, greatly increased. And, of course, knowledge is power. And if you know that John Smith stiffed the last time they were in town and that you're going to uh, hesitate to make an offer or make the offer that the artist, uh, that the agent is asking for. Uh, But to go back to what Melinda said or asked, um, besides looking at tour histories and Polestar, um, I will also look at Billboard and see what's going on in terms of the various charts that are there for airplay and streaming. Uh, and there are more and more charts there where in an earlier time they were not quite as uh, genre-specific, but now they've increased and they will even have streaming, new artists, charts, etc. cetera. Um, <clears throat> I will also look at streaming uh, you know what how many times somebody's been listened to on Spotify and other things and uh, but you know it's not an exact science and never will be a famous producer once said to me I know how to make a record that sounds like a hit but no one knows how to make a record that will be a hit and that's the truth you know um, whether it's a one-hit wonder and you never hear of them again, or somebody who gradually builds and builds it on the road and maybe never sells many records, but they're a huge act, um, so to speak, like Fish, who are a very big act, you know, uh, in terms of box office, but don't sell many recordings at all. Uh, The Stones have been notorious for not selling many albums in the past, you know, 20 or 30 years even 40, um, but, you know, they're a huge draw. They can sell yeah. a ticket, that's for sure. When you, <laughs> right. when you look at Billboard, does, uh, and you look at streaming music, let's say, for example, does it give you yeah. um, any idea what city and state they are in? Um, no, they don't, and um, that, to the best of my knowledge. And that's where you have to look at, uh, oh, and also that's where where I will also see what is um, what is being played on certain radio stations in my specific market. 
Um, so you kind of take all these different bits of information. Um, I may call some people who live in a specific trench, whether it's you know someone who's a, a uh, music critic or um, I don't know a DJ, and say what do you think of so and so? And there are some there are some genres where it's easier to get a feel as to whether the act is a hit or a miss. And there are some where you might as well be like the ancient uh, soothsayers and looking through sheep guts <laughs> to determine the future. Um, yeah. But so far, I, I think I figured out once that I'm right 83% of the time working on that other 17%. But It's a good batting know. average. It's a good batting average. Yeah, because a lot of people think, too, uh, you know, and it's understandable, but that Todd or Todd's agents decide where he's going to go when they really, they they kind of don't. They, they throw out a net and see who's interested, and it kind of goes from there. And it really comes down to demand and streaming and these other issues they look at. It's not just, you know, Todd goes, you know what, I think I like Baltimore, so I'm going to go there. It really has nothing to do. Well, but sometimes, uh, to, I have to uh, somewhat correct you, there are times right. when artists will say, this is a major market tour. That means we will play Philly and D.C., but not Baltimore, not Richmond. Then we oh, go really? down to, oh, yes. Uh, then there may be a secondary market tour where it's specifically Baltimore and Richmond, et cetera. Um, you, there are times when the good? artists will only look to where they are getting airplay or sales and will go to those markets. Or they may, if it's, a uh, say, a newer artist sometimes, um, let's say if it's a country artist, uh, where are the honky-tonks where we can safely <laughs> go to where basic no, – these are the aspects of, of planning the yeah, tour. But, Michael, the, the, is this – you're saying the artists say this. You don't – so it – Live Nation wouldn't say this is going to be a, a big city tour. You think the artists would say that? Like, so let's say, I don't know, I'm trying to think of somebody. Uh, somebody that's, let's say Zach Brown Band. I don't know. They're going to go. We're only going to go to big cities. I mean, is that is that them or is that the agent doing that? Uh, well, it's who. It usually it's the it's the management, and it's the artist, and it's whoever has the most leverage. Uh, okay. It it varies. Um, there is an act that we are presenting, which I couldn't under, or no, pardon me. It's an act that uh, Live Nation is presenting that really isn't that big in the United States. In Europe and in England, they'll do maybe 1,500, 2,000 people. Yeah. But the real reason they're presenting the act, I think, is because the act is managed by the same management as a major superstar. So the major superstar company management said, we need for you to help us with this. And, of course, it's in Live Nation's interest to, uh, to help them. And I get mm -hmm. it. I don't, I don't begrudge it, but that's the reason in this instance. Mm -hmm. And there are times when artists will say, I specifically want to play a certain venue because 
they liked it in the past or they hear that it's the right place for them to play. Mm -hmm. And that's that. And it could be somebody I've never presented and I get a call or it could be somebody I've presented many times, but for some reason they decided to change it up and Mm -hmm. you know, that's showbiz. That's awesome. It's good. Well, man, yeah, they got some. They got a an in on a good, you know, where where a good place for them to play. It's good. What's um? Well, it, what it's is, good. It's good when it's somebody you want to play, yeah. and it's bad when it's somebody who you have, like a farmer have a, raised the crop, yeah. but somebody else gets the gets to uh, get the harvest. Yeah, that's another thing. I know that sometimes they'll pit venues against each other too. Uh, Yes, and um, and there there was a time when I had a small venue that I played any number of artists that that was the first stop, and they went on to greater glory. But I did not share in the glory. They that whoever was calling the shots for them decided that um, they should be playing for someone else after they played for me for whatever. Yeah, the memory story. The memory's short sometimes when you hook somebody up like that. Um, well, what has been your favorite show that you've seen over the years? You got one? Do you get to see a lot? I mean, I know you don't get to see them all because you're working sometimes, but I'm sure you stop and go, holy cow, this is a great show. Well, um, <clears throat> boy, uh, it's, uh, like as they say, like asking your favorite child. Um, <laughs> you got one. <laughs> if, well, the one that comes to, to immediate I, – I, the one that I never played – but it comes to immediate mind is, of course, Springsteen and the E Street bands, and not just because I'm a son of the Garden State, uh, or as I said to someone, American by birth, New Jersey by the grace of God, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, okay. you know, it's just it's just a tremendous show. In terms of somebody that I have presented uh, before, he, before, before he became too infirm, B.B. King because oh, yeah. he truly was the king of the blues. And I got involved with all this in the early 70s, presenting blues acts out of Chicago. So, you know, he was... So you saw B.B. before he was sitting on a stool? Oh, yeah. Oh, I pre- yeah. I've presented him 10 times over the years. Now, he he brings an entourage. Well, he had a big band. Yeah. Yeah, and family members. I saw him in New Jersey one time. I was at a hotel where he was. And it was a he had a ton of people with him. Well, but, you know, it, it it varies. It it varied over time. Um, there was a period when he had a very large band. Um, then it it cut back somewhat in size. There were some folks with him for decades, um, but generally speaking, it was not a huge entourage you know it was just a yeah. large band that I have you have you ever have you had a show come to the just, you know let's say to the Berkshire one of the smaller venues you have that should have been at a much bigger one on one of these unusual things like a Prince pop-up or you two doing small venues have you ever had some giant act that shouldn't have been in there that that has been in your venue that you're still like I still can't go in this thing. Well, we never um we never had someone who was I'll call an arena <clears throat> pardon me, an arena act or a stadium act 
do a pop-up like a Rolling Stones or a U2. Uh, we have had uh, within recent history, or I should say, you know, when they were playing only theaters or uh, large theaters, uh, people like Ray Charles and, of course, B.B. Uh, played the room, Hag, Waylon Jennings, Johnny Cash. Um, oh, gosh. You know, it's the old story. There's so many shows, it's kind of hard to sure. remember which, you know, Kenny Loggins, Boss Gags, um, nice. it goes on, you know. Um, but I, I don't think we ever, I mean, we played the Dixie Chicks. Gosh, we played them three or four times when they were wow. a West, when they were just, well, when they were just a Western string band, uh, or uh, pardon me, Western swing band, not unlike Asleep at the Wheel and then gradually morphed into a top 40 country act. And we did play them on the, uh, <clears throat> the first single on the first uh, Columbia album. But after that, they blew up and uh, I think at that point became a Live Nation uh, property. Gotcha. Um, but, you know, a lot of people have pl- we, we've played or I played over the years who went on to become big like Jack Johnson or Jason oh, wow. Raz. Yeah. Oh. I think the biggest act well, that I was ever involved in, involved in, I guess if one defines it as big, would be uh, Elvis Presley. So what? Um, the king. Okay. Right. Good. Yeah, so, about three months before he passed away. Um, really? And it remains probably the most singular show I was ever involved with, um, on a number of reasons yeah. and levels. Oh. Wow, that's interesting. So. Cruiser Mail, you got any more questions? I got one more finale question. Michael's been with us for longer than he probably thought he would be, so we very much appreciate it. <laughs> I'm having um, too much fun. Oh, good. Mel, do you have anything? No, not really. I, now I, I've sort of I'm in the zone. Now I'm just I'm listening to this fascinating person here on the end of my phone line, and uh, I just appreciate how forthcoming you've been. Uh, kind of the way Grady was was complimenting you. Uh, do you find that? I know you've been very very nice to to Doug and I and and shared information with us. Uh, I know we're not anything special at all. But do you find that other professionals that do exactly what you do and represent a certain venue, or or, or is an independent uh, promoter type? Uh, do you find that in general other promoters are pretty generous with their their time talking about business with you and talking openly? Well, with me as a colleague and a peer, yes, generally speaking, uh, and also within the circle of promoters that I will uh, that I talk to, um, especially of course if we're not. Uh, directly competing in the same market. Uh, Though we are friendly competitors with any number of folks in the Washington marketplace, um, I think we have a cordial relationship with basically with almost all of them. Um, And, of course, there are certain things we may not discuss because we're competitors. But, But in the main, I think we have honest discourse internally to to the market and i also definitely know that there's any number of promoters i talk to across the nation 
and vice versa, uh, comparing notes and just having, you know, conversations about what's going on and who's doing, who's hot and who's not. Um, and that's, uh, but that's the, uh, the guys, the guys in the sandbox I play in. There, mm-hmm. there certainly are those who feel their business is their business and yours is yours. And I don't discuss yours and you don't discuss mine and you don't need to know mine and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But in the main, you know, the, the, the folks I deal with or my peers are pretty straightforward and are collegially supportive, uh, especially those that are not in the market. And even the ones, I mean, locally, we can use any Live Nation or other proprietary facility with the exception of one that no one but that person, that entity can use. And there's certain legal uh, reasons why. Uh, So it isn't a case of... um, you know, trying to be the sole proprietor to keep out com- competition. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's you know that's pretty good. But you'll you'll have some. It's often just a function of personality. There are some people who just are antagonistic, and that's the way they are. You know, Bill Graham was no day at the beach. <laughs> you know, and that's common really? knowledge. Yeah, yeah, hard to believe. Yeah. I always thought that you guys. The smaller venue should have a, a Polestar Pro Junior or another kind of magazine because Polestar Pro, when I've, I've looked at it, it had the smaller stuff, but it really seemed to cater to the bigger, bigger venues. Well, it house. does. No, it actually has quite a bit uh, or a significant amount of smaller stuff, and also more and more. If I, you know, the the whether you know, if you ask an agent and say, how did so and so do? the last Mm -hmm. time they were in town. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, nine times out of ten, they will tell you because you are asking a direct question. And if they're talking to you about the act, they don't necessarily want you to feel hoodwinked or um, uh, make an inappropriate offer, if you will. It's good business. And... It, of course, it is a reflection of your relationship with that particular agent, and some agents are more forthcoming than others. But if I can't get the information, it I am less inclined to make an offer. Yeah. Because Makes why sense. should this guy not know what his act can mean in the marketplace? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and yet true. solicit me for an offer. Uh, just as I also know, I had agent uh, within the same agency not too long ago, agent A, who is not a finagling type, offered me the act at ten thousand dollars less than agent B, who is. But I've come to be used to that kind of behavior from agent B, so you know I took it with a grain of salt. So, Michael, have you did you ever have the cars in uh, your venue? No, the band, the no, uh, never played uh, the band. I think there might have been, golly, I think Ben Orr might have been in the room as part of a group, but I just cannot remember distinctly. Okay. All right, well, I, one reason I ask is we're going to take a break, and then so we've got Greg Hawks in it from the cars, and then I want to ask you the 
question. Uh, the listeners may be able to figure this out. It's the biggest dead horse we've beaten over the last few years. We're going to bring it up. Uh, we'll be right back in a few, less than a minute. Okay, Hi, so this is Greg Hoffman, you're listening to Rundgren Radio. I don't know what that cologne is, but it's working like a charm. Makes it easy to imagine walking you on my arm, on my arm. I want to show you around the site, but not tonight. Did, did we lose Michael? Oops. I'm still here. I think we lost him. I hope oh, he didn't no. think I was thinking. Man, I had the finale going. Oh. <laughs> well, we're having some problems on Blog Talk. I know I, I, I got kicked out of the chat, and I can't get back in. So I'm going to try to get him back. Cause, okay. Uh, give me a second here. Um, let's see. Try to do your best entertaining people for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I sing? Um, I can tap dance. Um, <laughs> he's just been so fascinating. I'm really enjoying it, and and uh, he he speaks so well and communicates just just fantastically. Uh, I'm learning a lot. Yeah, I don't. You did? Can you call right back? No, I got one more question for you. Oh good, 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 good. He's gonna. All right, sorry y'all had to hear all that. I was. uh, Anyway, yeah, I got asked. I got asked the finale question. So, um, okay. I guess he didn't understand we're taking a break. That's cool. No big deal. He's been great. I knew he would be. I mean, I know people didn't know who he was, but I've had conversation with him, and he's always been real helpful. And I knew he would. He's booked Todd. Um, you know, Mr. Don Slobin wanted me to ask him questions about Todd's rider, but he won't remember that. The guy does 300 shows a year. We remember that. If you got a certain question, we might could answer for it. Yeah. But, uh, it's not anything crazy. Um, that was funny about the squirrels. That was really funny. Yeah, that's a good one. I like the you know the green M and M's maybe a little better, but all right. So we got Michael back. Sounds like looks like Michael, you with us? Yes, sir. Good. Okay, you ready for the finale? Uh, door number three. It's not my best question. It's not my best question. Um. What is your opinion of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and what is your opinion of Todd Runger not being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, uh, in the first case, it's like any election. You're going to, you know, there's going to be people who complain, and there's going to be people who say it's right. The existence of the Hall of Fame, of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I'm glad about because it is a public acknowledgement that transcends just the music world, but to the world in general, as to artists who have been important, vital, and inspiring. Unfortunately, why Todd has not been um, inducted is as much a mystery to me as certain other artists that I feel that have been more than worthy, but have for some reason not been inducted. It does for someone as innovative, unique, 
and a variety of other uh, uh, complimentary I phrases, yeah. uh, I, I, I cannot fathom why he is not in. I don't know. Uh, but I am glad that the Hall of Fame does exist because of that reason. Now, to show <clears throat> in full disclosure, I was one of the founders and indeed the idea of the Washington Area Music Awards was mine back in 1984 because mm -hmm. I felt we needed a way to blow the horn and publicize the immense bounty of diverse and brilliant artists indigenous to the Washington, D.C. area. And indeed, I, I think it did help. And, um, you know, better to light a candle than curse the darkness, I think, sometimes. Again, reflective of my optimistic and positive nature. Um, but when with any of those sort of um, entities, award entities, it's always going to be controversial. There, I mean, yeah. there are some which everybody will agree on, and then there'll be others where you go, why isn't so-and-so part of the Hall of Fame? And you just throw up your hands and go, I don't get it. Because I don't, I don't get to vote. <laughs> Do What's you – um, because you because you don't get to vote and I don't get to vote. That's why. What um yeah. what do you Could who be. are some artists that you um some other artists you think should be in? Oh gosh, you know what? Without a list of knowing who's in, I I really can't say. Uh, it's just really bugging you then, huh? So yeah, because all the yeah, I mean, yeah, no, with with Todd, I completely understand it. It doesn't make sense. Um, off the top of my head, is Lou Reed in the Hall of Fame? If he isn't, he should be. He hopefully he is already. I just I without a list of those folks gotcha. in to quickly I'm, look at, I can't I mean to put the uh, pressure say. On. I got you. I'm sorry. All right. I didn't mean to put the pressure on. I just uh, no, no, it's okay. I just uh, it to to not uh, to make an informed answer. I I can't do it at this moment. Yeah. Well, we had we had you know Todd. Uh, and I personally was very shocked that he got nominated. It's been ha it's happened the last two years, so it's become a, a bigger topic than I than I was hoping because for a while it was just really not worth talking about. But once he got nominated, it kind of opened the door a little bit. So you know he didn't make it, but anyway, maybe one year, and, and I don't know how that's going to change everybody's lives, but they seem to think it will. So <laughs> hopefully we will one day. And uh, anyway. Um, we appreciate you being on. It's been great, and uh, appreciate your generous amount of time that you shared with us, uh, your honesty and your good stories. And um, we we hope everything goes well with your venues, both rooms, and anything else Thank you, you do. And there, people. I hope the I hope the uh, I think you're going to hit that fifty thousand. I hope that's enough to keep people, um, you know, in good shape for a couple of months or however long it's going to take. And uh, yeah, I, th I think we I think we will. And uh, I certainly wish you, Melinda, and yours, and anybody, as they say, within the sound of my voice, remains well and safe in these uh, this difficult and unusual time we are living in. Right. It's, it's definitely one of those. So I wanted to let you know too that um, Linda told us that Lou Reed got in in 2015. Oh, good. I'm sorry. Who did? Oh, Lou got in. All right. Good. All right, man. That's good to hear. We still, by the way, we still present his uh, his widow, uh, Laurie Anderson, from time to time. 
plays oh, Okay. Yeah, Good very stuff. nice lady. Well, man, Brilliant hearing too. about what you'll do when you get back in business. So um, hopefully sooner than rather than later, and everybody will be safe and we'll be back to normal. Right. Okie dokie. Take care of yourselves. Down the road. Bye-bye. Hi, everybody. This is Todd Rundgren, and you're listening to RundgrenRadio.com. My people! You complete me!